Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Ngo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well, where we talk about well-being weekly with very special guest from all over the world. And today we have a very special guest with us, um, I think all the way in the United States. I'll get her to introduce herself in a little bit. Uh, but right now I just want to introduce the topic. I really love this topic. Um, I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about, uh, lots of tales and lots of discussion. Today we're going to talk about cultivating empathy for better well-being and social connections, which we all need more and more every single day. I don't think we are talking about this enough. And uh, we have in our virtual studio, Aditi Subramaniam. She is a neuroscience PhD turned science writer, and she's passionate about communicating science to diverse audiences. And uh, a fun fact is I was talking to her earlier and I was saying to her, are you the one that wrote that article about social media detox for eight months? Because I went on a social media detox journey uh, for about two months and I found that article after that. And I was like, this name is really familiar and I really enjoy reading the article. And I confirmed with her that that was her writing that article. So, you know, what a small world. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited and super grateful that I get to be here today to talk to Aditi. So without further ado, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Um, Aditi, thank you so much for joining us. Can you please share a little bit more about your professional journey, um, why you're doing the work that you're doing and why you're so passionate to talk about this topic today? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm uh, a neuroscience PhD, like you said, uh, and I'm, I, I now uh, do science writing full time. So I think I realized uh, pretty early on during, you know, my PhD journey that what I was really passionate about was uh, writing about science. You know, I, I really like reading about different kinds of science and kind of understanding it for myself and seeing how best to, you know, communicate it to my chosen audience. So that's something that I've realized over the past few years that you know I really thrive on and I really enjoy doing what I'm doing every day and uh, yeah so I'm, re I'm really grateful that I've kind of you know found my niche so to speak and uh, yeah so and and yeah like you said it was just uh, really fun to know that you know you you happen to come across an article of mine uh, on a totally different topic <laughs> so yeah it's, it's it's really nice to yeah to, to speak to people who've read your articles and who kind of you know um, connect with it in some way because th that's that's what I'm ultimately trying to do with so many of my articles and and um, yeah I'm really happy to speak about empathy as well because I, I initially started researching empathy when I was like looking to write a few uh, blogs and uh, it's it's a really fascinating topic and I learned so much you know through we think we know what it means but there's really so much nuance to empathy that we don't really you know think about and and I, I think sometimes when we you know kind of when our attention is 
is uh, drawn towards these aspects of empathy, it's something that, you know, has real potential for, you know, uh, for us to change for the better. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this today. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. And me too. I'm excited to talk about it because it is a topic that I talk to my friends uh, about quite a bit, but I do believe that with you know the lens of science and research, there'll be so much more that we can unpack. And, you know, in fact, when I was looking at the question, I was kind of like, this conversation is going to be interesting because I didn't think about the different, you know, aspects and nuances of um, empathy, as you mentioned. So we'll definitely jump into that conversation very soon. But before we do, we have a section called Have You Met Aditi? So now I would love to get some recommendations from you. I do this all the time on the show. I really love it. And um Every time we talk to the guest about this section, we get to know the guest a bit better. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, in a way, our audience would find ways to empathize with what you're saying, uh, maybe <laughs> even more, thanks to getting to know you. The first question we always ask is, what is a book you would recommend? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the last book that really, you know, uh, impacted me and, you know, touched me was uh, Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. So I, I really love that book because uh, it, it talks about the experiences of uh, a, a woman who migrates from Nigeria to the US. And I, I just found uh, so much of her journey so similar to mine because I, I kind of moved from India to the US, uh, you know, uh, for my higher studies as well. So uh uh, yeah, so I think uh, I, it touched upon a lot of uh, uh, aspects on immigration and what it means to really belong to a place. And, you know, I, I really uh, resonated with a lot of that book. And of course, she's she's like a wonderful writer. So it was it was a book that I found really hard to put down. So, yeah, I think that that's that's a book that I'd recommend. Yeah. 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 I've never heard about that book before, but it, it definitely does sound fascinating. And I can also resonate with that because I moved from Vietnam to Australia and, you know, living as a sometimes feel like a foreigner kind of kind of thing. It's like uh-huh. it's an interesting experience, uh, but also embracing myself as a local in some ways. I'm like, I don't know. It's a it's a good identity. It's an identity crisis. It's, <laughs> yeah. It is so yeah, shameful. Yeah. So, yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> book. Uh, what about a movie you would recommend? Uh, so I don't know if you watched this, but there's this movie called Coda. It's uh, streaming on Apple TV. It's 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 a beautiful movie. Uh, so I, I just stumbled upon it and then realized that it had won a couple of Academy Awards last year and I'd never even heard about it. So it's, it's a beautiful movie. It's like really heartwarming. It, it follows uh, a fishing family in which uh, the, the protagonist is like the only hearing member uh, in the whole family and she's like interested in uh, becoming a singer. So it kind of follows you know, two, two tracks, the, the family's track as well as, uh, the protagonist track. And, uh, I, I just love that movie because, you know, uh, it was heartwarming. It was entertaining. It was, uh, and, and so, such excellent characterization of all the characters, which I think that's, that's a really hard balance to strike. And I've been recommending that movie to everyone <laughs> ever since I watched yeah. it. So yeah. 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 Sounds like you really yeah. enjoyed it. I've never heard about that movie before. So We'll put it on my list. Sounds interesting. What about yeah. a podcast you would recommend? Uh, so uh, a podcast that I keep going back to is uh, Hidden Brain, uh, NPR's Hidden Brain. Uh, yeah. So I, I love it because uh, it's just, yeah, it's... Uh, I, 
so many of the topics that I'm interested in, they 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 have you know covered at some point. And I I I'm more of a visual learner, so I end up like downloading transcripts and reading reading them. And and whenever I download like uh, uh, NPR Hidden Brain transcript, there's just so many highlights because there's just so much information packed in there, you know. So I that that's a podcast that I I'd highly recommend. Yeah. 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 Wow. I love that. I, I love the, you download the transcript and you highlight the good stuff. I need to do that. Yeah. Cause I, I think, uh, I, I'm more of, I, I, I take in information, you know, uh, by, by reading much, much better than, you know, uh, I, I'm not a very auditory learner, so I don't know. It could be that yeah. I just get too distracted by everything else. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I could understand yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Who is your famous role model? Or if not a famous person, who's your personal role model? Okay. So this, this is a really hard question to answer because I think as, as I've grown, grown older, I feel like I don't have like one role model. I, I kind of end up like, you know, emulating parts of uh, different yeah. people that I'd like to, you know, uh, th- that I'm inspired by. But I think uh, in general, I'm I'm really inspired by uh, sci- a, a lot of science writers, you know, people who are, uh, you know, really good at their field uh, of science and also, you know, who, who write really well about it. So people like Oliver Sacks, V.S. Ramachandran, uh, Ed Yong, Catherine Wu, you know, who, who write uh, science articles for the Atlantic. I think, yeah, th- those are the kinds of people that I'm really inspired by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Final question. What is a course you've completed that left a really strong impact on you? Um, so there's this course on, um, Coursera called writing in the sciences. Uh, it's, it's offered by Stanford and I, I love that course. It, it was just so well structured and, you know, it, it, it just, uh, again, like something that I'm really interested in and really passionate about. And I, I thought th- that course was really well done. And, and also that there's this course called the science of well-being. I think by, uh, yes. yeah, <laughs> Laurie I Santos. I think it's by Yale. By Yale, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I keep, really enjoyed I that keep as well. Confusing it with Harvard, I'm like, no, no, no. It's one of the, yes, yeah, one of the big unis, but not that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that was one I really enjoyed as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots yeah. of well, lots of little insights in there. <laughs> yeah, you're very yeah. passionate about writing and well-being, and I mean that's why you're here today because we're going to talk about well-being, and we're also going to talk about empathy. Thank you for all your recommendations. Now let's talk about cultivating empathy for better well-being and social connections. As I said, this show is about well-being and that's why our first question is always about your definition. What does well-being mean to you personally? Okay. Uh, so that's, that's again, I think that's a really important question to, you know, keep asking ourselves from time to time, because I think very often we're on like autopilot mode where we're really not thinking about, you know, is, is something that I'm doing bringing me joy? You know, is this, is this something that I should be spending my time doing? So I think that's, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think for me personally, uh, I'm, I'm at my happiest too. And, you know, on a work front when I'm like, you know, researching an article that I'm really passionate about, or, you know, interviewing scientists about their work and writing about it. So, you know, that's, that's what, uh, makes me really happy on a work front. But I think overall, uh, I think having a nice balance between, you know, uh, work and life, I think that, that really, uh, matters to me as well. Just having enough time to spend with my family and, you know, just, just go on trips 
trips and spend time in nature. You know, I, I find that spending time in nature is like one of the best things you can do for for well-being, even if that's just going out for a walk, you know, every day. it's it, it, Sometimes it's hard to get the motivation to do that because you're just like in your pajamas all day and you, you don't want to go out for a walk. But once once you actually do that, it, it makes a tremendous uh, impact on well-being. And that's what the research is showing as well. So I think there's, uh, if, if there's one thing that really helps with with uh, mental well-being, I think it's just going outside and being in nature. And yeah, so I, I, I really appreciate having time to do things like that as well. <laughs> Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. We actually have a few episodes uh, on this show where we talk about connection to nature, you know, um, our connectedness with nature, spending time in um, open spaces. And, you know, a lot of practices that have been mentioned on this show are related to, you know, going out, uh, you mm-hmm. know, be in nature, go for walks um, and, you know, immerse yourself in nature as much as possible. So, yeah, very on brand. Um, <laughs> but uh with that said, we also want to address the misconceptions when it comes to well-being, because obviously we, um, I think both of us, we we care about well-being, which is why we're here and we know a, a thing or two, uh, you definitely more than me about well-being. Um, so I wonder in your work and your research, you know, when you're doing writing and when you're kind of reading up on the literature, what would be some of the biggest misconceptions that people have when it comes to well-being? Or maybe it could be based on your personal observation. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, this is really interesting because when when I started reading up about you know the misconceptions that people had on well being, I I was I was resonating with so much of that you know because yeah I was like oh yeah this is something that I used to think as well but clearly I, I you know the research has proven me wrong so uh, so I'd say I think one of the biggest misconceptions that we have is that you know material affluence so material wealth is going to be what gives us happiness and very often we're chasing those kind of dreams but uh, I think uh, the research kind of shows that you know that that's really not the case you know I I, I don't mean to say that money can't buy happiness I don't mean to you know (laughs) go go all cliche there because I we know you know uh, money can bring a certain amount of security and peace and all that but uh, the 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 uh, you know the uh, how, how do I put this the impact that uh, money can have on our well-being is really uh, not not as strong as we think it is and it kind of tapers off beyond a point so I think what what matters uh, more than you know material affluence is time affluence having the time to do things that you really enjoy you know that that seems to have a real real impact on people's uh, well-being and uh, I think it's also interesting that there are you know a couple of uh, biases uh, that that you know are built into our brain. So so there's this thing called hedonic adaptation. So basically, like, uh, let's say I got a new phone last week. I, I'm gonna be really happy with it for like maybe a week to ten days, and then I, I just you know get used to it, right? Like uh, yeah. within a month, I'm just like I I don't notice that I'm holding a new phone in my hand anymore, you know. So uh, and and it seems like material things are are much more. Um, susceptible to hedonic adaptation than you know say experiences 
so uh, you know investing our time uh, investing even our money more on uh, experiences you know going out going out into nature doing that kind of thing uh, taking vacations you know that might be a better way to you know spend spend our money than say on on material things and um, there's also you know social comparison uh, so i think uh, we're always comparing ourselves with with other people or with you know uh, our our own goals right like what what goals we have so uh, we we think in very relative terms so uh, i think uh, yeah so again uh, material goods are really susceptible to social comparison as well because you're like hey i have an iphone 13 and she has a 14 so it's very easy to compare rather than like a vacation that you take you know so a vacation that you take you're like in there at that moment and it's really you know uh, it's it's harder uh, to you know compare yourself that way so um yeah so i think those are some of the misconceptions that we have and and yeah since since we spoke about like social media i think you know social media is like the worst thing when it comes to social comparison because everyone's like just like cherry picking the best aspects of their lives and putting it out there and sometimes it can seem like somebody else has like the perfect life when you don't so yeah i think uh going off social media really really helped reset some of those things for me and uh yeah just Yeah, I think those those would be some of the things I'd say like are real misconceptions that people have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I couldn't yeah. agree more. I really, <sighs> really resonate with that hedonic adaptation you mentioned because I remember reading up on this in one of the books. Now I cannot recall the name of the books anymore, but yeah, in in that book, it it, it mentioned that our brain is just so. Like it's it's so unhelpful sometimes because it get used to good things and and then basically it means we just take the good things for granted and uh, yeah I, I I don't I don't really uh, care too much about the the phone stuff but I do think about this a lot in the sense that you know when I got cats for the first time in I think 2021. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the best thing ever. Like my cats are amazing. And you know, like I was constantly, like I was obsessed with them. Uh-huh. I was obsessed with them for like, the first year of 2021. I was like, I just could not leave the house without thinking about them. Like, you know, I just, I just didn't want to leave. I just wanted to stay with them. And then my brain started to get, to get used to having them around. And then they get, a, you know, they start to get a bit annoying. And then I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Why am I being like this? You know, like they are so great for my well-being. I love them so much. I should not take them for granted ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you kind of have to remind yourself all the time because it, yeah, you you just get used to all these things so quickly and then you forget about them. Exactly, and and that's that's like a useful feature, really, because for for many other things, it's it's really useful to you know. Otherwise, you'd be overstimulated all the time, right? If you want like getting used to stuff, so uh, you know, like uh, just just things that, for example, like things that are happening in our peripheral vision, we really have to you know kind of tune it out and just focus on. You know uh, what what we want to focus on, so that's that's kind of where so many of these these things come from, right? Like it's it's a useful feature for sure to get used to things, but it it can be really maladaptive when it comes to you know uh, our well being because we tend to get used to stuff that you know yeah. uh, we shouldn't be getting used to. Yeah, so, yeah I know. Yeah, it's yeah. like I think it's so related to that gratitude practice, right? You just have to keep reminding yourself of what you already have. And yeah, maybe maybe you already have it for a long time, but it's still very important. Like, 
you know, like the, for me, it's like my cats and, you know, the space I have and, you know, like whatever else I have, like the books and like all the vinyls and things like that. Anyways, um, we could, we could go on all day with this because I think it's, it's actually really important to remind ourselves, um, because the show is about well-being and I truly mm-hmm. believe it, that our well-being would be enhanced so much more if we keep looking at things that we already have and Absolutely. the social comparison aspect that you mentioned. And this is related to the article that you wrote and the experience mm-hmm. of you know why I got to know you even before interviewing <laughs> you. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's just a really good thing to re- remind our audience um, in case no one has reminded them recently. It's actually really, really going to be so good for you to just take a moment and be grateful for what you already have. Um, sure. So yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 they say, uh, I'm sorry if I'm again, you know, going off topic a little bit here, but uh, like uh, I I think you know uh, things like savoring and mindfulness they can really uh, help you know thwart this hedonic adaptation because you're really yeah. like you know uh, being in the moment and trying to experience something fully for what yeah. it is. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I really love that. Totally. So we have covered well-being. We've talked about misconceptions about well-being. Now let's talk about empathy. Mm-hmm. Kind of switching gears a little bit, but it's 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 related. So first of all, I would love to get a definition of empathy from you because I'm sure you've done the research on this. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone knows a thing or two about empathy, but how would you define it? Sure. Uh, so I'd say empathy is like the ability to not just um, you know, understand what a person, uh, you know, what a person's emotions are at a particular point in time, but also to kind of try and imagine what they must be thinking or feeling at that moment, you know, and, uh, there's a couple of components to this. There's, there's, you know, the emotional empathy, there's, there's like, uh, you know, kind of, uh, when you resonate with somebody on an emotional level, so that's, that's one kind of empathy. And then you have, uh, cognitive empathy which is more you know when you're trying to analyze okay this is why they're feeling this way and can i do something to potentially help them so there's two kinds and i think we'll talk about that more uh as we go along but i I, it's really important to have like a balance between the two kinds i think to have like healthy empathy yeah so Okay, thank you for that definition of empathy. I think we'll find out a bit more about the different types of empathy in a bit. But right now, I wanted to ask you this question because we are talking about well-being. So I'm keen to hear what your thoughts are or you know, what the science says about the relationship between empathy and well-being. Sure. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, for one, uh, empathy, you know, going through the process of, you know, uh, let's say developing empathy can can really uh lead to a a sense of social connection uh because you're going through the process of actually trying to understand somebody you know where they're coming from you're you're actually you know listening to their stories you know so i think that that can really uh uh, lead to enhance uh, enhanced social connectedness which which has a a significant impact on well-being you know as 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 we all know so um and and also i think um one aspect of uh, empathy is is learning to regulate our own emotions because sometimes when when we empathize with someone it can be distressful so we need to kind of know how to tone tone that down and you know uh you know how to kind of move towards 
you know something uh, move towards a more balanced approach where you're also you know uh, using cognitive empathy you're thinking about things so uh, uh, i think th- that kind of emotion regulation can be really really helpful it can and you know studies have shown that people who are good at regulating re- regulating their emotions are generally less stressed stressed out you know in life so and and i think uh, you know uh, empathy in in leadership roles it can be really important you know it can help people be better leaders because obviously they're responding to uh, you know folks in their company and uh, and and this is something that uh, satya nadella of microsoft says a lot he he speaks a lot about empathy and he says you know empathy can actually uh, lead to innovation as well because uh, you know you're you're really thinking about you know uh, unspoken needs of of your clientele you're thinking about things that you know are unmet because people don't really speak about them but but when you when you're trying to empathize with your clientele it can it can lead to innovation so i think yeah there's this just so much so much uh, you know uh, so many positive things that can come out of empathy but yeah 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 i think we will speak about this more later but i think uh, we need to know that there are limits to empathy and that there are pitfalls you know we need to be wary of some of those things but yeah 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 very interesting point so what are the different types of empathy now that we've covered uh, the relationship between empathy and well-being mhm so so like i kind of uh, mentioned a bit in the beginning so that there's this affective empathy which is you know the emotional component so it's almost like a mirroring system in a way you know it's like i i see somebody uh, uh you know who's sad and that makes me sad as well right so that's that's the affective component and then there's the cognitive component which goes one step further and says you know why is this person feeling this way and you know uh, is there something that i can do to help the uh, that uh, so uh, merely having empathy for a person does not mean that you know uh, you're going to be moved enough to kind of help them but uh, in order to have compassionate action you know empathy is like a necessary first step you really have to empathize with a person in order to be you know compassionate enough to you know kind of help so um yeah so i think uh, Uh, effective empathy kind of develops very early in life you have like uh, infants you, you you see infants kind of you know respond to the distress of their caregivers in a very you know intuitive way so the, if if their caregivers look distressed they are distressed as well so uh, this this used to happen with my daughter as well you know so if if she if she would see us in pain she she just she just start crying and she wouldn't know why she was crying you know <laughs> uh, but uh, when when kids kind of grow older when they're like 3 or four years old that's when the cognitive component of empathy kind of kicks in where they're able to think a little more deeply you know about uh, why is this person feeling this way and you know uh th- th- that's when they kind of start uh developing a theory of mind as well kind of understanding that you know people other people have a mind that is different from their own and they experience the world differently from themselves so um you know uh, having a healthy balance between these two types is really important uh, as you can imagine so you know people who are like sociopaths they're really high on like cognitive empathy they kind of know exactly what a person is going through but it doesn't affect them emotionally at all so you know or they don't let it affect them emotionally so and on the other hand when when there's you know uh, the the balance tips the other way and you have like too much emotional empathy it can be really distressful so which is why you hear doctors say all the time that you know they they try to kind of 
you know, distance themselves emotionally from what the patient is going through because that can be really detrimental to their own well-being as well. So I think it's it's important to really strike a balance between these two. Yeah, yeah, types. definitely. Yeah. Okay, the, that that's very interesting because I think for all of us, we probably talk about uh, whether a person is empathetic or not, um, but we we don't necessarily explore the angle of, you know, when you mentioned sociopath, I was like, oh, wow, okay, it's getting dark. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, find it, I find it fascinating that they can empathize, but they just don't care or distance themselves from that in a way. And that that sounds a bit like it's it's kind of hard to, it's like a hard pill to swallow, I guess, for a lot of people. Because, you know, like when when you can empathize with someone's emotion, but you just basically don't care, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's something. It's something very different. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's. It's. Uh you know, like you said, it's not just like a black and white thing where, you know, somebody is empathetic or not. And, you know, it's not always that, you know, empathy is a good thing as well. You know, it's, yeah. it's usually, uh, you know, uh, romanticized a lot in popular culture, but it does have, uh, you know, disturbing angles to it. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, when you say that, it's... Um it's a very important point to make when we think about how we should approach the topic of empathy, because, uh, you know, obviously we know that having empathy is really good for our well-being and other people's well-being, uh, but maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> because, so... you know, like the kind of the kind of empathy matters and the, the personality and the characteristics of the, the very person really matter, uh, which mm-hmm, is why, yeah. you know, like, I, I think it's, Interesting because there's there's a concept of empathizing with someone, mm-hmm. and you know there's being compassionate, being empathetic, um, and obviously you know the, we we know the benefit of curating empathy and having empathy, and we know that you know for us to build a more compassionate, inclusive society, we definitely need to make sure we can nurture that empathy in everyone, but look at it the wrong way, just like what you just said. If there's a sociopath and they can empathize, it doesn't it does not necessarily mean that they're compassionate and caring and that's gonna contribute to society. That's Absolutely, getting very yeah. tricky. It's getting very tricky and it's it's very important to look at the nuance of these things because yeah, it's it's very easy to kind of uh, you know, paint everything uh, with the same brush. Like, um, yeah, so it's it's really important to really uh, dig in and see, is, is is this the right kind of empathy? Am I empathizing only with people who are similar to me? You know, that's that's another thing that's that happens. Uh, it's it's a, a common thing that happens, you know, like, um, so it, simply widening the circles of whom we empathize with can help. But I think, you know, just, just knowing these things about empathy uh, can help us kind of, you know, build in these practices that can help us, you know, empathize in a more meaningful way and kind of empathize with a broader set of people, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when we talk about cultivating empathy for, you know, a more compassionate and inclusive society, um, how do you see this, uh, you know, playing out? Because obviously, as I said, it could be that yes, we are cultivating empathy and some sociopaths have empathy, but that's not adding value to our society at all. Um, so yeah, what are some of the things that we should look out for, or, you know, things that w- people might not have discussed before? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, uh, so I think when it comes to like 
inclusivity and you know building a, a society that's more inclusive it's really important that we understand some of the limits of empathy you know for for example uh, like i said we have a distinct in group preference empathy has a distinct in group preference you know the more similar someone is to us the easier we find to you know uh, relate to them as well as empathize with them and this this has you know a clear evolutionary reason like uh, we are probably you know built to kind of uh recognize people within our tribe to recognize people within our in groups so that we can kind of you know understand wh- what what they need and how we can help them uh survive so but yeah of course this becomes maladaptive you know uh, very often in the modern world when things are getting so globalized you you have so many people who are so different from yourself it's it's really important to kind of uh broaden our you know uh empathy nets so to, so to speak so um yeah i think uh, another thing that's really important to kind of think about is that empathy cannot be a replacement for lived experience right like so so very often we can say you know uh, i empathize with what this person is going through so i know exactly what what they're going through yeah. so i can you know give them this yeah. totally misguided solution so yeah. uh yeah so it's really important to realize that empathy can't can't solve a lot of uh, can't answer a lot of questions so it's important to have you know bring in diverse voices bring in people people's voices into the table who uh, who you you know you're not getting a chance to listen to otherwise and um yeah it's 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 very easy for us you know on the surface it might seem like you know person uh, a person that we're talking to has had a very similar experience to us so you know we we might think that we we know exactly what they've been through but really we can't because everyone's you know everyone's lives are so nuanced there's there's so much you know uh, history and there's so much trauma that people bring with them and you know we bring our own trauma as well so when we're looking at uh people we 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 look at them through our own lenses and it's very important to realize that and uh yeah i think uh, empathy just uh, cannot be a replacement for you know lived experience i think that's that's a limitation that we really have to you know recognize mm. yeah that is so true and while you were talking about that i thought about the aspect where you know having empathy is one thing how you use it is a it's a whole different thing it's a whole different skill set because you know yes i empathize with what you're going through but if i say yeah i know exactly what you're going through oh that sucks and you should do this and that that's unsolicited advice and sometimes that can, that can actually hurt the relationship and we're talking about social connections today um, that's a big part of well-being right and where when we're trying to cultivate um our well-being as well as a people's well-being and try to build that social connections that is the worst thing that can happen and i know this um firsthand because you know that has happened to me before where someone was like oh yeah like i know exactly what you're going through oh my gosh you should just do this mm-hmm. and i'm like but mm-hmm. but no you 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 know what i'm going through but you don't know how i actually feel to my core and what i want to do so No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I know exactly what you mean. So, yeah, it's it's this this kind of unsolicited advice can come through, you know, this this feeling that we we are empathetic towards the person and also uh you know, even even when we look at like action like comp- uh, things that people do seemingly out of compassion very often can be, you know, simply a method for them to, you know, reduce their own distress you know so so we're sometimes doing things for ourselves more than for the other person so it's really important to kind of think you know what are my motivations here am i am 
I looking to simply reduce my own empathetic distress or am I really, you know, doing something that a, has the other person asked for help? You know, very often we, we offer solutions when maybe the other person doesn't need need help at all in the first place. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the best advice I've got from the internet, the wonderful world of internet, is um, I saw this somewhere and the, it was basically saying when someone is in distress and they are talking to you about their problem, and I think this is related to empathy, you can ask them, would you like me to listen or would you like some advice? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, that yeah. can be so powerful. Yeah. Simply, simply, you know, just asking them directly what 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 it is that they hope to get out of this conversation. And, you know, I, it's really important to women we're listening to people as well to, you know, be be active listeners to kind of really, really want to know what they're what they're saying, because very often when we're listening to people, we're we're often thinking, OK, well, how am I going to respond to what they're saying? You know, we're we're not completely present so i think uh yeah active listening is a really important part of you know communicating effectively with the person and getting to know yeah. them really at at, at a deep yeah. level yeah absolutely yeah totally i couldn't agree more really love that um we're kind of you know unpacking not just the science but also in practice what it looks like and you know how we should go about you know, leveraging the empathy we already have. But for a lot of people, they might think, you know what, this is an inherent trait. I don't really have empathy and I don't think it can, it can be cultivated. But I think the research says otherwise. It says that this can, this is a skill that can be learned. So how does that work in reality? And how can people cultivate empathy if they don't, they don't have it at all? Or they don't, they're just not familiar with the concept. Sure. I mean, for one, I think I'd say empathy is definitely a skill that can be learned. You know, that there there is, of course, a small inherited uh, com component, right? Like you see see infants respond emotionally to caregivers. And I think there was a study like in 2018, which kind of caught some media attention, which, which showed for the first time that genes play some role in how uh, empathetic we are. But, but I think the same study found that only like a tenth of the variation in the degree of empathy between individuals can actually be attributed to, you know, the genetics. So which suggests that, you know, non-genetic factors and things that we can actually change, you know, things uh, like our life experiences and things that we can, habits that we can work on can actually play a much larger role in, you know, cultivating empathy than we realize. So I think, um, you know, so one thing that people can definitely do to cultivate you know empathy and kind of make sure that um you know they're not again just empathizing with a limited set of people is to kind of go go out and seek seek out you know try and meet people from different backgrounds really listen to their stories because this is something that kind of happened to me very organic in my life uh, organically in my life you know I've, I've been lucky lucky to have experiences that have led me to kind of interact with people who are very different from myself and you know interact with them you know make friendships with them so uh, simply sitting sitting you know and having a one hour two hour call conversation with people who are very different from you can can really you know uh, kind of make you realize you know that people are really more similar than they are different and and that's i think one of the most organic ways to kind of develop empathy towards people different from ourselves is to just go out there and you know seek out people who are uh, as different from ourselves as possible and and like i said you know when, when we speak you know kind of 
active listening is really important and and uh, strangely research has shown that reading fiction also helps with enhancing em- empathy and and i kind of understand why right because you're inside the mind of a pro- protagonist very often who's very different who's had a very different life from yourself so i think you know yeah again picking out books that you know again yeah. uh, have protagonists that are different you know have different yeah. life experiences from yourself can really help uh yeah. so yeah yeah i think simply 100%. believing that uh empathy can be learned right like uh studies have shown that people tend to uh people who just believe that empathy can be learned are are more you know empathetic in general so i guess they tend to put in more effort into being empathetic into listening and you know into putting these uh, small practices into play in their lives that can actually enhance empathy so um yeah this there's 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 so much out there you know uh, they, they say that you know playing games playing competitive games can actually enhance empathy because you're kind of trying to figure out you know what the other what your opponent is thinking and um you know you're you're, you're really trying to put put yourself in another person's shoes so to speak so yeah there's there's a number of different things that people can do i think to cultivate empathy yeah yeah wow. that's so interesting Yeah, I think I uh, definitely know about that reading fiction part. Mm-hmm. Um but when you mentioned that my mind was just kind of wandering and I was thinking about the the people that are so different from me and I rarely talk to them. You know, and it's just like, you know, maybe I I'll get to observe them from afar or you know, like I'll know about them through stories by friends and you know, um I think it's such a different experience because sometimes the first response and I, i have to acknowledge i have my own biases so the first response when i see someone um you know behaving in a way that's so different from me i'll probably go why are they doing that yeah you know like yeah, rather yeah, than be yeah. like rather than just go oh okay i see what's going on there no actually you know the the more we go through life the, the more people will encounter the more situations will encounter and sometimes things just do not make any sense at all to us because they're so different from us and i think that is actually a, a, an opportunity to learn to cultivate empathy because you can look at the situation and you, you can just go i don't understand why this is happening or i don't understand why these these people are behaving this way um and sometimes it can be distressing situations you know like you know when you watch the news and someone did a certain thing that was not so nice um that's kind of it's not really fun exposure but you know i think in a way it helps you to think okay this person did this because maybe they have childhood trauma maybe they are going through some things or you know maybe their cultural background dictates that they should do this and that and yeah i think the more you go through and the more people you encounter and the more situations you get to observe the the better you are at cultivating empathy even though it can be uncomfortable at times like today my colleague and i were just talking before we started work and he was telling me about like people that uh, he met over the weekend and i was like Wow. <laughs> These people are making me uncomfortable even though I don't know who they are. I never met them before. And now that you mentioned all this I'm like, oh, actually, you know what? This is like a good chance for me to cultivate empathy because they have a very different background from me. So I I would understand why they're behaving the way that they're behaving. Uh-huh. So yeah, just an observation point there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simply simply just trying and, you know, being less judgmental about people can actually yeah. open you up to, you know, exactly what they've they've experienced and, you know, yeah. why they're acting a certain way, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really love mm-hmm. that. 
Um, so we already covered this um, where you talked about, you know, we have our biases. We tend to empathize with people that are more like us. Um, and we also talked about, you know, the fact that we can, you know, open our minds, um, you know, read fiction, play games, um, expose ourselves to more people, to cultivate more empathy. But we want to be as inclusive as possible. And this applies to very different domains in life. You know, like we were talking about life circumstances. Maybe it also could apply to things like work, studies, um, you know, professional development. Um, there's, so, there's so much going on. And I think uh, the, the other thing is uh, very big right now is... I don't know if this is biased, but like I've been struggling with, you know, like the different kinds of identities and, you know, gender um, and you know, the, the different pronouns and, you know, people coming from very different places. And, you know, even um, when I heard about someone being in an open relationship, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know about that. And I don't know how that would work. So how can we develop and cultivate our empathy in an inclusive manner that applies to different domains in life? Because there's so much to learn all the time. Um, I think learning is probably one of the keys, but, you know, I wonder what else comes from the the research, what else we can do, you know, maybe more frequently on the daily or on the weekly that could help us with this. Yeah, sure. I think I think we're we're uh, really at an interesting uh, time in history as well, where you know we have access to so much so much information right on our fingertips. So if we really uh, wanted, so I can imagine it'll be really hard to you know kind of go and really meet people who are so different from us. I uh, like you said, it's it's not something that happens uh, organically every every weekend, right? We we end up meeting people who are similar to us. But but there's so much so much online. There's so much that you can read. You know, you can actually kind of read uh, people's uh, stories. You know, right from from themselves. You know, what what they say about their lives, about you know why they are a certain way. And I I think that can help us really you know cultivate empathy. And 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 there's so much you know content out there like uh, simply watching a TV series which is you know in a different uh, you know a different language you know from uh, or you know a different country from from our own you know it can it can really help us see that you know some 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 emotions are just universal and you know some uh, people are just you know more similar than than they are different so th that can really help and you know I I, I just keep uh, yeah so there, there's just so much content like on on Netflix and stuff where you know there's just uh, yeah you you can just get uh, different perspectives if you if you want to and I think uh, yeah uh, yeah so and 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 actually there's there's like this really interesting study that I wanted to mention I don't know if it fits in here but but it's 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 a lovely study so it was it was done in uh, Lancaster uh, in the UK I think a few years ago so they were actually looking at uh, group uh, group membership and how how people's uh, helping behavior changes uh, so so they, they actually looked at soccer fans you know uh, football fans and uh, so, so for example if somebody was wearing like a Manchester United uh, jersey right so uh, they, they got like Manchester United fans first to write about why they love their club so much and then they got them to like walk from one one part of the campus to the other and on the way they'd encounter like an actor who, who was like you know writhing in pain you know like uh, like they twisted their ankle or something like that and and they found that people who actually just wrote about how much they loved Manchester United were less likely to help somebody if they were wearing a Liverpool jersey <laughs> which is you know uh, and and uh, <laughs> Uh, a rival team so uh, they were uh, yeah 
and they were much more likely to help somebody who was wearing a Manchester United jersey. But and and here's yeah. where it gets really interesting, right? Like when the, when they did the same experiment, but they, when they told people to kind of write about why they love soccer in general and not just you know the Manchester United team, and then they got yeah. them to do the same thing, you know, just walk from one part of campus to the other, and then yeah. and then uh, they they were so much more likely to help somebody wearing uh, a rival team jersey simply because they thought about the shared you know the the commonality between themselves and the rival team member which is a shared love for soccer right so i yeah. think uh, simply just that kind of widened their circle of empathy and i think yeah that's that's like a really interesting thought experiment that we can all do right like how how are we similar to somebody uh, whom you know we're struggling to empathize with because there will be aspects you know however different we may seem uh, there will be aspects that we can relate to another person with so you know just just kind of maybe seeing seeing people as humans and not you know so much based on you know uh, group memberships and sometimes when we see a person we just you know immediately assume uh, that they're going to be a certain way because of the racial or the ethnic groups that they belong to and simply you know ceasing to do that and looking at them as humans can really make make a big difference i think yeah that is so interesting. I think I've heard about that before, but hearing it again is still it's still really cool because I think it just reaffirms that when we share love for something, it's so much easier to empathize with others. Uh, but when, you know, when it's kind of like it's too niche in, in the case of, you know, just because I love this team and this team only, um, that kind of differentiates you from other people where, you know, if like, say, if, if you do you love music? Yes, I love music. But then if you name a particular artist and somebody else hates that artist, then it's a whole different story. And exactly. Yeah, that, yeah that's yeah, why yeah. it gets really interesting, because like, I think we all share love for certain things in life. And that connects people so much more easily than than, you know, being so specific about what we like and what we don't. Um, when we try to cultivate that empathy and try to connect with people. And because we're trying to build social connections here, um, mm -hmm. I think it's it's better to focus on that aspect of, okay, what can I empathize with that person? You know, maybe we share the same love for something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That might be a really yeah, good way yeah, to go yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And simply just being less rigid about the kind of groups that we see ourselves belonging to, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, sometimes we just take the groups that we think we belong to and that becomes part of our identity. And when that yeah. happens, I can see this kind of, you know, the separation and the kind of in-group versus out-group thing happening more when, when you start taking uh, those kind of things too seriously and make that part of your identity as well. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. So interesting. So speaking of the theory, I think we've covered uh, all the research and, and interesting facts by now. Let's get more practical. Let's talk about a practice. What is a practice that you do personally to cultivate empathy for better well-being and social connections? Um, so uh, like I said, you know, the, the things that make a real impact to to my empathy have, have been things that have kind of happened organically, you know, just, just, uh, moving to a different country where everybody is different from myself, for instance, yeah. like I, I'm, I'm forced to kind of meet people who, who are not the same as me and, and kind of, yeah. uh, you know, make those friendships. I think th that kind of thing really helps. And, um, yeah, simply, I think, uh, having, you know, uh, 
being a parent has kind of you know made me be a little more conscious of my own biases as well because you know sometimes you don't want to transfer <laughs> your biases to your kids and and so much of things like empathy is learned so you really want to you know model the right right behavior the right right approach to things so uh i i find that you know just just thinking about parenting from that perspective also really helps and um yeah so i think uh i just yeah it's it's uh, and and a combination of the things that we already talked about like you know reading fiction kind of trying to read uh different perspectives uh as far as possible yeah yeah absolutely i love that well thank you so much for sharing your practice and you know not all of those practices we can do you know a lot of people might go well i'm not going to move country yeah <laughs> i probably don't want to have a kid right now but yeah. reading fiction or you know getting exposed to things that you wouldn't normally expose yourself to would be a really good place to start so thank you for mm-hmm, sharing that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in the final section of the show we have open mic where we ask our guests to share something that they are passionate about it doesn't have to be about the topic i know you're passionate about a lot of different things so the floor is yours go for it <laughs> yeah so uh i i i'd really like to talk about uh this aspect uh so it's called focusing illusion and it's something that uh daniel kahneman talks a lot uh, talks a lot about so um i think it has great relevance to empathy as well so uh he says that when when we think about people who are different from ourselves for example like if we think about a disabled person very often we're focusing on one aspect of that person's personality you know or of that person's entire existence and you know that we use that to kind of build the story about them so uh, we were just focusing on the fact that that person is disabled but for 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 that person uh their lives are so much more than just their disability right like uh they have uh so so much richness of experience which which is which goes beyond what we're focusing on so i think uh, uh the focusing illusion is something that happens a lot when when we when we don't make the effort to really know a person really well and uh, i think that that kind of um goes back to you know uh, how much can we empathize with someone are we really empathizing with them or are we sympathizing are we you know <laughs> are we uh, offering them misguided solutions and uh, you know this this uh, goes to uh, this reminds me of another uh, talk by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie so she did a TEDx TED talk where uh, she speaks about the dangers of a single story so you know she says it's it's really um dangerous to kind of you know have one uh narrative of a person in your mind like oh you know that person is poor so th- that's that's all you know you're kind of bracketing them into you know just just one one thing and that can be really dangerous because you're not kind of uh allowing yourself to see that they are a person with you know feelings and uh experiences that are very similar uh, in some ways to yourself and you know that that causes us to have like a kind of separation between ourselves and the other person which i think can be really uh maladaptive when it comes to you know uh having a healthy empathy for them so yeah i think those are just 
two things that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. They're both wonderful things and kind of related to the topic too. So thank you so much for that. It seems like you're passionate about this topic so much that you definitely made the perfect guess for it. Um, before I let you go, I would love to invite you to share with our audience how they can find out about you if they wish to know more about your work or maybe invite you to have a, uh, for a collaboration. Sure. Uh, so I have a psychology today blog called Parenting from a Neuroscience Perspective. So I think that's the best place to kind of look at all my blogs. And they also have like uh, a link for, you know, media requests that people can use, which, you know, comes comes to my email. So I think that's that's the best way to reach me. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today and talking about empathy. Um, I think we as a society need to talk about this topic more and more. And, you know, this conversation has really inspired me to talk to my friends about it. You know, I'll definitely <laughs> bring this up the next time um, I hang out with my friends. So yeah, thank you so much for being here and sharing all your wonderful insights. Awesome. It was great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngo. Thanks for tuning in.